Welcome to KGNU's Morning Magazine. It's Monday, July 31st of 2023. I'm your host, Shannon Young. Coming up on today's program, we're taking a close look at Colorado's gun violence epidemic from multiple angles. First, we'll hear from the family of a victim of the Parkland school shooting. They were in Boulder Friday to meet with families of those killed at the 2021 mass shooting at King Supers. Then we'll look at easy access to guns and what that has to do with Colorado's high suicide rates. And finally, we'll hear about some ideas about reducing the risk of harm from guns, from new laws to biometric trigger sensors. After the BBC News headlines, we'll hear the latest commentary from Jim Hightower. July has been the hottest month on record, and people are struggling with the extreme heat in many parts of the U.S. For prisoners locked up in cells without air conditioning, it can be deadly. Coming up at 8.35, we'll hear from three formerly incarcerated prisoners from Texas who spoke earlier this month at a CU Boulder conference about their own experiences of extreme heat in prisons. At 9 a.m., We'll bring you Counterspin, a look at fairness and accuracy in reporting. At 9.30, Sanford Buran will be in the Boulder studio for the Morning Sound Alternative. That's all still coming up, but first, the headlines with KGNU's Benita Lee. The Denver Housing Authority's Board of Commissioners has approved the purchase of another hotel that will be turned into supportive housing. The 194-unit Best Western Central Park Hotel is at 4595 Quebec Street. While the purchase is awaiting City Council's action, the move is seen as a swift response to Mayor Mike Johnston's pledge to help 1,000 unhoused people find indoor shelter. In a city press release, Mayor Johnston said the acquisition, quote, puts us on a solid path to achieving our goal and improving quality of life in neighborhoods across our city, unquote. The recently renovated property costs over $25 million. Funds for the purchase come from the Housing Authority, a Northern Trust bridge loan, and potentially the American Rescue Plan Act. The city has invested about $25 million towards other Housing First projects, mainly in collaboration with nonprofit the Colorado Coalition for the Homeless. These include the coalition's purchase of the former Clarion Inn, now called Renewal Village, and the Park Avenue Inn, which was formerly a La Quinta Inn. The U.S. Senate passed the National Defense Authorization Act late last week, complete with its Colorado-specific provisions. KGNU's Jack Armstrong has more. The National Defense Authorization Act, or NDAA, increases funding for Colorado's aerospace research and development centers. Colorado Senator John Hickenlooper set spending limits for some of the aforementioned Air Force programs, but also increased pay for service members and expanded benefits for spouses of military personnel. The bill also includes $5 million to study the health effects of so-called forever chemicals near military bases, including near the Peterson Space Force Base in El Paso County. For KGNU, I'm Jack Armstrong. High levels of algae bloom toxins have been detected in the water of Cherry Creek Reservoir. KGNU's Ivana Levis has more. Colorado Parks and Wildlife, or CPW, has closed recreational access to the marina and West Shades area of Cherry Creek Reservoir due to toxic blue-green algae blooms. 
No swimming or paddleboarding are allowed, but boating and fishing are deemed safe. 8 micrograms per liter of the toxin, microcystin, is considered dangerous for skin contact. Water samples found microcystin levels of 10 micrograms per liter in the recreational area waters, categorizing the water as a level red zone. Cherry Creek Operations Manager Larry Butterfield recommends both humans and pets make no contact with the water and that dog owners keep them on leashes to prevent them from drinking the water. The swim beach at North Sterling Reservoir is also closed due to high amounts of algae blooms and caution is advised when visiting Pruitt and Jackson Lake recreational areas. Symptoms of toxic algae exposure include rashes, fever, joint pain, and liver damage. If algae toxin symptoms arise, authorities recommend calling poison control or a health provider for treatment. For KGNU, I'm Yvonne Olivas. A motorcyclist died on Saturday following a crash with a tandem bicycle. KGNU's Zach Thompson has more. Around noon on Saturday, Colorado State Patrol received a call about a crash between a motorcyclist and a tandem bike on left-hand Canyon Drive. The patrol told the camera they assumed the motorcycle was speeding when it collided with the tandem bicycle. According to Colorado State Patrol, the motorcyclist attempted to flee the scene and fell off the side of the left-hand Canyon Drive. The motorcyclist hit a tree branch and died. The two passengers of the tandem bike both sustained injuries and were rushed to the hospital. For KGNU, I'm Zach Thompson. Another accident on Saturday involved a 17-year-old American cyclist who was training for an upcoming world championship. According to the Denver Post, cyclist Magnus White was fatally struck by a vehicle while on a training ride in Boulder near his home. White was a rising cyclocross champion who was chosen for the U.S. national team. He was training for the upcoming Junior World Mountain Bike Championships in Glasgow, Scotland, when the accident occurred. The Boulder police are investigating a costly break-in at a popular comic shop in town, Time Warp Comics and Games, which has been in business for almost 40 years, was robbed early Friday morning of thousands of dollars in merchandise. Store surveillance footage showed a person in a mask and hoodie use a hammer to smash the front door, then a glass case holding over $13,000 in comics. According to the Denver Post, cameras also captured the suspect's white Acura in the parking lot, but not a clear image of the license plate number. A second person was caught on camera coming into the store after the first suspect left. That suspect took money, then quickly left. The low-line fire near Gunnison has continued to spread over several days of dry weather with high temperatures. As of Sunday morning, the blaze was reported to be 7% contained. However, over two days, it had grown from some 200 acres in size to over 1,000 acres. While the wildfire, which started from a lightning strike, is relatively small at about two square miles, its proximity to homes and other structures has firefighters worried. Fire officials are hoping that rains forecast for this week along the mountains arrive to help weaken the fire. Partly sunny today, then showers and thunderstorms likely this evening. In Boulder, highs in the upper 80s, lows around 61. In Denver, a high near 90 and a low around 63. And in Fort Collins, a high near 90 and a low around 64. For KGNU, I'm Benita Lee.
You are listening to The Morning Magazine on KGNU. I'm Shannon Young. The family of a student killed in the mass shooting at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida in 2018 is on a national tour. They're raising awareness about the impact of gun violence on families and communities. On Friday, they came through Colorado, where they visited several mass shooting sites, including King Supers in Boulder, Columbine, and Aurora. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, Maeve Conran reports. A converted yellow school bus pulled into the parking lot of King Supers at Table Mesa in Boulder, emblazoned with messages like Stop Gun Violence and Save Lives. On board, the family of one of the 17 people killed in Parkland, Florida. My name is Manuel Oliver, and I am Joaquin Oliver's dad. I, I lost my son during the Parkland shooting almost six years ago. They've come to meet family members of those killed two years ago here at King Supers. It's a legit um, exchange of support. We're not a rock band on tour. We're not politicians on campaign. We're just, we know what it feels. Patricia Oliver, Joaquin's mother, placed a rock in the memorial garden beside the parking lot at King Supers to honour the 10 who were murdered on March 22nd. 2021. Well, the rock is a symbol of remembrance. It's a symbol that we know we are Parkland, and these rocks were made for a group of women from Parkland, and we all remember everybody that is going through this situation. So every time I place a, a, a rock, it means that you know that there is a group behind that cares about the issue. The Guac's magical tour, a nod to Joaquin's nickname, will stop in 27 communities, all touched by gun violence, culminating with a caravan of 23 buses going to Washington, D.C. later this summer. Joaquin Oliver would have turned 23 on August 4th. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, I'm Maeve Conran. Gun violence in Colorado recently hit a 40-year high, according to data from the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment. Kira Zizzo looks at different approaches different organizations are taking to trying to tackle the issue. There's no broad consensus on how to solve the issue of gun violence. One approach is to raise awareness by making the stories of families affected by gun violence more visible. Colleen Creighton is the director of End Family Fire, a campaign that promotes safe storage of firearms and runs an initiative called Safe Stories. What we're trying to do with Safe Stories is really, number one, get people out there to realize this is an issue. No one's talking about firearm suicide. We need them to start these conversations. And number two, making more people aware that it's okay to talk about it. Creighton notes that new data from Johns Hopkins University shows that suicides by gunfire are at record levels. If you look at the numbers overall, we lose more than 67 individuals in this country every day to firearm suicide. And so these are at the highest numbers they've been since 1968. Colorado's gun suicide death rate is nearly twice the national average and 10th highest in the country, according to the CDC. Creighton says studies show that easy access to a gun increases the likelihood of suicide by 300 percent. And that's not even counting unintentional deaths resulting from kids having access to unsecured firearms in their homes. 
BioFire, a Broomfield-based venture capital-funded startup company, has entered the fray with a proposal of its own. The company makes what it calls a smart gun. Brian Rogers is the lead designer at BioFire. The idea of the smart gun is uh, this is the gun that you can store however you want. If you want to put it in your nightstand, you want to leave it out in the open, you know, someplace where you can quickly grab it in an emergency, it'll still work for you. But you don't have to worry about small children or anybody else in the house or even, you know, the bad guy getting a gun from you and being able to use it against you. The so-called smart gun is designed to only work with the owner's biometric data. The system uses fingerprint sensors and facial recognition. Are there any sort of guards in place for the owner themselves to prevent them from possibly turning the gun around on themselves? Or is it just for people who don't have access to the gun? Currently, it's it's set so that uh, it's it, it's access controlled. So like right now, like the gun, like it's still a firearm and three things have to be true for the gun to be able to shoot. Like there has to be somebody holding it. It has to be a valid biometric. And then the system has to sense a trigger pull. Currently, the way the architecture is designed is if those three things are true, the, the gun will shoot regardless of what it's pointed at. In recent years, some state politicians have become more willing to implement gun violence prevention measures. This has forced a shift in the way gun owner advocacy groups talk about gun safety. Michael Pierce is the founder of Argo, the Alliance for Responsible Gun Ownership, a newly formed organization. The first iteration of this organization about a year and a half ago was NRA 2.0. It's a story I can't tell right now because it's not appropriate, but I was involved with some, some guys who were very closely associated with the NRA who no longer were with the NRA. And we are all talking about starting a new organization. And I was very passionate about it. But as I went down that road with them, uh, right before kind of we consummated um, the financial deal to launch the organization, the Evalde shooting occurred. And that turned me more to the middle. And when I discussed that kind of with my former partners, they didn't feel that way. They felt that um, they still were aligned more or less a little further to the right than me, which I respected and we went our separate ways. And that's how Argo was born. Pierce says some people have the right to a firearm, but some people don't. Argo advocates for mandatory gun licenses, universal background checks, and red flag laws. Firearms, as you know, the leading cause of death uh, with I think teenagers in America now is is uh, it's gun violence, right? which is just hard to understand. And um, we really want to start an organization that eventually will become a place where people can be, be a member and be proud to be a member. And if you're going to own a gun, which is great, if you're willing to take the necessary steps and take the time and care to own a gun, and then you need to learn how to how to use it responsibly. During the 2023 legislative session, lawmakers passed and Governor Jared Polis signed into law at least four major pieces of gun safety legislation. The newly enacted measures include raising the minimum age for firearm purchases to 21 and introducing an extreme risk protection order, also known as a red flag law. This law broadens the scope of individuals who can request restrictions on firearm possession for those considered to be a threat to themselves or others. Eileen McCarran of Colorado Ceasefire says there's more to be done. 
states that have strong gun laws have lower firearm fatality rates. So it's important to know that as we address the gun violence in Colorado by enacting laws and different laws, we are making our state safer. Colorado continues to search for solutions as gun deaths climb. If you're struggling, reach out to friends and family and call 988 for help and resources. For KGNU, I'm Kira Zizzo. Colorado has one of the highest suicide rates in the nation, according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Suicide rates are even higher in the neighboring states of Wyoming and New Mexico and are well above average across much of the western U.S. KGNU's Alexis Kenyon spoke with Dr. Emmy Betts, a professor of emergency medicine and practicing emergency physician at the University of Colorado and the Anschutz Medical Campus, to gain insight as to why. The guns don't make people suicidal, but in the midst of crisis, if someone reaches for a gun, they are far more likely to die. We also know in the western part of the United States, there are more rural areas that have less access to resources. Um, you know, and then also some rural areas may have higher rates of uh, either unemployment, financial stresses, substance abuse, things, all of these other kinds of situations that can also increase suicide risk. In recent years, there have been a lot of news reports about depression and suicide rates among teens. And I'm wondering, is mental health really getting worse among the younger generation? And is it or is it possible also that we're just more aware of it? Yeah. So we do know that over the past decade, suicide rates for youth in the United States increased 60 percent. Um, in 2021, 30 percent of high school girls said that they seriously considered suicide. Almost half of students who identified as LGBTQ and over 25 percent of those who identify as American Indian or Alaska Native. So we certainly know there are higher rates of suicidal thoughts in certain populations. Certainly, there's a lot of concern around things like social media, social skills among youth, and so forth. I think we're also very concerned, though, about firearms as a um, contributor to teen suicide. Nearly half of youth suicides are by firearm, most often a parent's gun. So it's important for us to continue talking about how to reduce access for youth. So, for example, locking up firearms that are in the home. In Colorado, if you look at the statistics, most people who commit suicide are not kids. They're men ages 25 through 55 years old-ish. These are gun owners. These are people do who don't have a parent to take away the gun or to lock the gun away from them. I mean, how do we make sense of a conversation about safe gun ownership? What we do is a harm reduction approach, which means recognizing many people choose to own guns and that having a gun can put them at an increased risk of suicide. So how do we work with those people to help them recognize that risk and then take the steps that they need to? This is a, it's a high risk group for many reasons, but it's exactly the, then the group that we need to be working with to find solutions so that we can prevent these deaths. People who end up committing suicide Statistically, in Colorado, most of them have not had any mental health treatment. And the state in recent years has been under a lot of scrutiny for what some people call the broken mental health safety net. What resources are there available for people who need help but 
don't really know where to turn to get support. First, I would disagree with your first premise that there's no help available. Is our system perfect? No. But help is available every day through 988, through walk-in crisis centers, through emergency departments. Um, we, we need to be encouraging people to reach out, not scaring them that there's not services available. Do we need expansion of services? Absolutely, right? I, I'm not disagreeing with you on that. But there's a lot of stigma still around help-seeking behaviors, and we need to normalize for people that it is okay to call for help. It's okay to talk to friends and family. It's okay to talk to clergy if that's where you feel comfortable. Um, or it's okay to call the 988 hotline or the Colorado crisis line to find out what's what's available. You know, some people may have depression or other mental illness that would benefit from medical treatment, so medications or therapy. A lot of times, though, people just need connection to resources to figure out what to do about a job situation um, or something else that might be going on. Um, we know a lot of people who die by suicide don't have a diagnosed mental health problem, in part because they probably haven't sought help. They haven't felt comfortable saying, hey, I'm going through these troubles. So we really need to be working to destigmatize that kind of help-seeking behavior. We all have mental health the same way we have physical health, and we all have mental illness at times the same way we have physical illness. It's a roller coaster, and that's a normal part of human existence. How should people think about asking for help and when it's time to ask for help? How do you identify that? And then what should you do? So if you're feeling more down than usual, if you're feeling more anxious than usual, especially if it's starting to get in the way of your daily activities, you can't sleep, you can't function at work, those kinds of things are warning signs that it's time to get help. It's also okay to call any of these hotlines if you're worried about somebody else and you don't know what to do. If it's a friend or family member and you're like, I don't really know, are they at risk or not? For sure. I think big red flags when you should take action are really thinking about death, planning for death, somebody may, making comments about planning suicide or not wanting to be around anymore. That's when it's really time to get some help. Dr. Emmy Betts is a professor of emergency medicine and a practicing emergency physician at the University of Colorado and the Anschutz Medical Campus outside of Denver. Dr. Betts, thank you so much for talking with me. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for your coverage. I appreciate your interest. For KGNU, I'm Alexis Kenyon. After recommending a certain trail for a self-care day trip, the CityCast Denver crew has this public service announcement for women hiking alone in Jefferson County. So we aired an episode on Monday, July 24th about self-care. And one of the recommendations we made was for a, a solo date hiking trip. Can you can you explain a little bit about that? Because we have an update on it. Yes. So I made a recommendation for a fun hike in Evergreen um, at the three Alder for Three Sisters Park um, for the Brothers Lookout Loop. Um, and so uh, since then, on Wednesday, the Jeffco Sheriff's Office um, released a kind of warning to solo hikers that um, there has been a sexual predator targeting lone female hikers in the area, including that park and a few others in the area. And I think we just wanted to bring attention to this because we had made that recommendation to to yes. do solo hikes, but we also want to make sure that our listeners are safe. Yes. So I had recommended that as a great place to go solo hike. I know I have. I know many other women have. Um, and right now is really not a good time to do that. Um, and the the sheriff's office has, you know, put out a warning and has 
warn people, like, make sure you're taking another person with you. Make sure you're being very vigilant on your hikes, being aware of your surroundings. And yeah, so we just want to make sure everybody is staying safe, especially on, you know, their self-care days, because that's what that episode was really about. So this, it's, it's upsetting. It's also just upsetting that we have to have these conversations yes. where it's like women need to be safe instead of keeping people from being aggressive or yeah it's really you know what I mean it's really upsetting because you know I should be saying you know don't be a creepy guy on a trail that's like grabbing women but I don't want anyone to be in a bad situation like that we made a recommendation and we were not aware that something really terrible was happening there yeah so unfortunately the sheriff's office released this on Wednesday the 26th so and not long after we made so that we aired episode. the episode on the 24th and so i i'm just a little upset about how late they chose to release the warning um because according to this article from nine news they had been getting reports since april oh no of this suspect sexually assaulting and harassing solo hikers and you know i would think that one instance would be enough to issue a warning but yeah. it took a couple like months. To- it, it took months and it took like six occurrences for this to be issued to the public. So I just wish that we would have known about it earlier so people could yeah. have, you know. So we wouldn't have know. made that recommendation if we yeah. would have known that this was an ongoing issue since April. So, but I appreciate you being vigilant and, and wanting to let our listeners know what we learned. So, yes. So stay safe out there. Carry your pepper spray, carry your bear spray. And then don't go hiking alone for the time yeah. being. Just take your buddy. Take your giant dog. Thanks, Olivia. Thanks. That's all for today's Morning Magazine. I've been your host, Shannon Young. Stay tuned for a commentary from Jim Hightower. And then it's a public affair with Maeve Conran. That's just after the news update from the BBC. BBC.